This is a WKYT podcast. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. Good morning, I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you. Today we talk with Central Kentucky Congressman Andy Barr. It's his first full interview since the sudden and untimely death of his wife Carol. While comforting his daughters and figuring out the road ahead, Barr was renominated by Republicans for a fifth term in Congress and the fall election season is cranking up. As the weeks have gone by over the summer, Barr has relaunched a, an election campaign. He has kept up with the nation's simmering issues from COVID-19 to the unrest in many cities over racial issues to the ongoing deep economic challenges the country faces. It's been a tough year for the world and certainly for Congressman Barr. Congressman, thank you uh, for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Bill. You uh, have experienced tremendous loss and uh, profound grief uh, this summer. How are you doing? Well, I'm hanging in there. It's been a tough summer. Um, you know, Carol was an amazing person. She was a great wife, mother, friend. We miss her dearly. Um, and her her legacy is her children. And uh, you know, my focus this summer is uh, try to do the best I can to stabilize the situation for my girls and, and keep them busy and active and get them ready uh, for school and uh, keeping Carol's um, you know mission for for those girls going and uh, keeping them active in extracurricular activities. So we, we miss her terribly, um, but we are so, so grateful for the outpouring of love and support from her friends and family and from the people of Kentucky who she got to know and she, she loved and they loved her and, and we're so appreciative of the, um, the outpouring of expressions of sympathy from not just Kentucky, but from, in many cases, complete strangers and admirers from throughout the country. You know, Carol Barr had her own career in sales and yet uh, was very supportive of yours. Uh, anybody who observed those election nights and uh, those campaign commercials and so forth over the years uh, saw you work together as a team. But what is her personal legacy? Well, that's right. I mean, she was an amazing person. She, she, was, she had her own professional career. Uh, she was a very successful person. Um, uh, she was a clearly a, a great helpmate and partner for me, but her real lasting legacy is her, her motherhood, her selfless devotion to her children. She cared about them deeply. She was a great mom for those seven and nine years, and she set them up for successful lives. And the great thing about uh, the situation is that we can have that gratitude for her legacy. Uh, we will see her and her kids for years to come, and, um, and, and we can all, you know, we can all uh, take a a lesson from Carol Barr uh, in, in that she um, she she um, she loved those children and she was very very um, um, she cared d deeply about their future and she was a selfless person. We can all kind of take a uh, take a lesson from that. And you know this this year has been a tough year for all Americans, all Kentuckians, uh, not just my family. And um, you know we all, we can all have a little bit greater empathy for one another. Yes, sir. I want to ask you this. You, you know, your, your job is hundreds of miles away when you have to go to Washington. I understand that some of this is uh, you've been able to do with, uh, uh, you know, Zoom chats and by video and so forth. Did this make you uh, rethink things and priorities? And did you consider at any point uh, resigning or not uh, continuing a reelection campaign? 
Well, naturally, this is this was such an unexpected, sudden thing, um, and my priority has been and always will be my children. So, you know, we evaluate that, and I've I obviously had to take a time to to uh, get my family situation settled, and we do have childcare now, and uh, my family has been terrific, and we've got a great network of friends who have helped out. Um, uh, but but certainly, you know, um, when all of this happened, I had to evaluate the situation. Uh, we are seeking another term in Congress, and um, uh, we feel like we're, we're able to do that, fortunately, and we're blessed because of, of the, the support that we have. Have you been back to Washington this summer? I have. I have. And I, I, I did miss a couple of votes because of the personal tragedy, but not many. And, and part of that had to do with the fact that Congress just wasn't in Washington very much. We were there uh, for, I think, three weeks um, for the entirety of the summer. Um, so um, I'm getting ready to go back. There's a, a three weeks in September. We're scheduled to be there uh, to vote. We have some unfinished business uh, before uh, the lame duck session in November and December. And so I am preparing to go back for those three weeks. You made reference to uh, what a tough year it has been uh, personally and uh, as well for the, for the world and the country. COVID-19 pandemic has uh, really been tough here in the U.S., around 180,000 deaths uh, in central Kentucky. We've had many losses. Uh, have you been uh, surprised by sort of the political nature of the debates about this, about you know masks and public health in general as the country has uh, uh, tried to bring this under control? Well, it's no surprise. The country is very, very divided, and it seems like everything gets politicized right now. But, you know, the focus needs to be not on partisanship. It needs to be on getting results. The country needs to come together on a whole range of issues, fighting and defeating the coronavirus, uh, making sure that we rebuild our economy and jobs. A lot of families uh, in Kentucky and around the country have suffered from the, from the voluntary uh, government-imposed shutdowns of our economy. Uh, and then we've got to come together as a country to confront the national security challenges that we face. And the pandemic is, uh, you know, front and center with the pandemic is China and the role that China played in the origins and the cover-up of, of, the, of the spread of the disease. And um, the need for us as a country to come together and prepare for a multi-decade competition with the, the Communist Party of China. And you've been uh, uh, calling attention to that uh, uh, recently. Uh, and this week, uh, you wrote an op-ed about, uh, you said, hackers attempting to steal American COVID-19 research, which is ongoing at several universities. There's a China task force uh, looking at cybersecurity. What's its purpose? Well, I'm very honored to have been appointed to this 15-member China task force, which is I believe some of the most consequential work that I've done in my eight years in Congress uh, that touches not just on national security and foreign policy, but uh, the economic competition that we uh, face. Obviously, a major focus of the task force is to investigate the origins uh, and the cover-up and the malign activity of the uh, Communist Party of China uh, in facilitating the spread of the disease. One study said that if China had been more forthcoming and had not censored some of the early whistleblowers, in Wuhan uh, in December and January, if they had not lied about the human-to-human -human transmission, if they had not conspired with the World Health Organization to uh, keep the truth from coming out earlier, uh, we could have reduced the spread of uh, the coronavirus by 95%. But it also underscores our over-dependence on our supply chains, medical supply chains, the active pharmaceutical ingredients, 80 to 90% of all chemicals and raw materials that go into our pharmaceuticals comes from China. It's why we don't 
manufacture penicillin and aspirin and vitamin C anymore in the United States. And what was so uh, malign and uh, malicious about what uh, China did after the outbreak, not only covering up uh, the origins and the initial outbreak, but they also then weaponized the supply chain. They, they hoarded and they vacuumed up all of the personal protective equipment and they tried to manipulate it. In fact, one senior member of the uh, CCP, the, communist, the Chinese Communist Party, was reported to have said, we're going to throw Americans into a sea of coronavirus. So this uh, presents a major national security threat to our country. We're looking at it from all angles, from, from the healthcare supply chain, from the buildup of their military, from their cyber attacks, from their economic warfare, uh, what they're doing in terms of not only their mercantilist uh, economic policies and unfair trade practices, theft of intellectual property, but also their Thousand Talents program. They're sending over hundreds of thousands of researchers to steal our medical research. Uh, and the fact that they've got this Belt and Road Initiative, the debt trap diplomacy, where they're trying to expand their influence around the world uh, to disrupt our alliances, this represents a major economic, political, and military challenge for the next few decades. And, as my, and one final thing, Michael Pillsbury, who is a senior Defense Department official, has said, you know, the ultimate goal here is the 100-year marathon. And, and the, uh, the Chinese regime, the, the techno-authoritarian regime in Beijing, they believe that they're entering the final stages of a 100-year marathon to overtake the United States as the world's superpower. So we're looking at this from all angles. So this task force, I mean, do you see it coming up uh, with a report? Do you see it as legislation? Do you uh, uh, hope to uh, reveal some things uh, to the public? What? Absolutely. And, and um, I'm the co-chair of the Economics and Energy and the Competitiveness subgroups. We're producing not just legislation, but a whole uh, volume of legislative proposals and proposals for the executive branch as well. Um, and the report, the final report will be issued on October 1st. Uh, we want this to be a bipartisan, nonpartisan report. We've invited our Democrat colleagues to join us. We've solicited feedback from prominent Democrats and Republicans because this is not a partisan issue. This is American national security issue. We were disappointed that Speaker Pelosi chose not to participate. Uh, but this is a uh, this is a major challenge confronting the United States, and uh, we need to come together as a country to prepare the American people for uh, this multi-decade challenge that that faces us in the future. Let's talk about the economic uh, fallout, which uh, is uh, continuing to uh, be a, a tremendous drag, uh, with uh, many uh, people unemployed, people uh, missing payments, uh, knowing that we're heading into uh, potentially a tough year next year. Uh, do you think Congress has done enough in terms of economic stimulus to to be sure that people uh, can make their payments, get back on their feet? Well, let me just first say that there has been an extraordinary. Uh, intervention by the federal government, both in terms of monetary policy and the Fed's um, a work uh, to recalibrate the monetary policy in, in the face of these shutdowns, but also Congress, um, a, a four or five phase effort of fiscal policy stimulus that really has prevented a Great Depression. If you think about it, this is not like a typical recession or a business cycle downturn. Th this was a this was the a roaring economy, the, the best economy in 50 years economic growth, the highest stock market, lowest unemployment, uh, terrific economic conditions for the country, and we voluntarily shut it down to respond to this public health emergency. So we're, we're fortunate in that we came into this in a very strong position. But because of the draconian public health measures that were taken, obviously we saw uh, a spike in unemployment and economic distress. So uh, I, 
the fact that we passed this $3 trillion fiscal response, and as a member of the House Financial Services Committee leadership team, we were in routine collaboration and communication with not only the Treasury Secretary and the Executive Branch, but also the Chairman of the Fed in standing up in very short order at the outset of this crisis, emergency liquidity and lending programs to key sectors of the economy. And there's no program that we put up and constructed and implemented that, that was more successful uh, than the Paycheck Protection Program, which literally was a lifeline Congressman, for millions of American small businesses. Let me ask you, you made reference to the draconian health uh, measures that you, you spoke of. Did we, do you think we did too much as a government uh, to control the spread of uh, COVID-19 in terms of uh, uh, making some rules, uh, uh, closing businesses, masks, that kind of thing? Well, I think we've learned a lot. I learned a lot from the doctors and the public health officials over time. And I think early on, uh, we took uh, extreme measures because we didn't know. I think we've learned a lot and we now know that masking, social distancing, hand washing, basic hygiene, those kinds of measures and um, compliance with CDC guidelines, we can open up the economy, we can go back to school, we can resume ordinary life to a certain degree using those precautionary measures without resorting to the draconian shutdowns that we saw of our healthcare system, um, which impacted my family and other families. Uh, the fact that we saw um, uh, many um, uh, officials uh, overreact in terms of going back to school. Um, you know, the, the American Academy of Pedi Pediatrics recommended that uh, people go back to school. We've seen a spike in suicides and overdoses. So there's been an overreaction that has actually hurt public health and certainly hurt the economy. So in you, you think public schools should be reopened now? Well, we, we've seen how schools can reopen effectively and safely. Again, using masking, using public health uh, measures, the social distancing, uh, you know, taking classes outside where it's safer. Um, and the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended that, that kids go back and they need to because um, we know the virus does better with children. So I, I, I would say we should defer to the pediatricians in this country about how negative uh, not going back to school will be for our kids. Congressman Andy Barr is with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll have more questions for him when we come back here on WKYT. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We have with us today uh, Congressman Andy Barr, the Republican who represents Kentucky's 6th District and who is up for re-election this year. And we'll ask him a little bit about uh, that campaign here shortly. Uh, the, when the coronavirus hit, uh, Congressman, I mean, it was sudden. There were the shutdowns. There were the questions about what to do. Uh, what did you do in your office uh, that people uh, may or may not be aware of uh, to try to assist when Congress was doing what it could, you know, for the nation in terms of the CARES Act and all of that? Well, in addition to proactively reaching out to area businesses and chambers of commerce to see what we could do in terms of providing these emergency lending programs for the economy, we also were in uh, very routine contact with our hospitals and our frontline healthcare workers, especially the infectious disease experts and epidemiologists. And um, we knew that we were going to have a major shortage of personal protective equipment. So the very first thing we did is we contacted the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington. We said we needed emergency shipments from the strategic national stockpile. We had three uh, early re re um, resupplies of PPE so that our frontline healthcare workers could get the masks and the gowns and the gloves. But we knew that even that wasn't going to be enough. And 
So we took the advice of a local um, epidemiologist uh, and infectious disease expert about using modern-day technology telemedicine within the hospital so that we could protect frontline healthcare workers, bring modern technology to the fight against COVID, uh, but also conserve valuable personal protective equipment. And we went to the, the administration and we got them to change a nationwide rule to allow uh, in-hospital telehealth using a Bluetooth stethoscope and a, a iPad. And that saved a lot of personal protective equipment. We, we also were able to work with Admiral Polachek and the FEMA Supply Chain Task Force to release a, a shipment of an anesthetic, a sedative that's used for intubated COVID patients. That was a nationwide month's shipment of a critical drug used to, to treat um, critically ill COVID patients. Yeah. That came out of our district. And then the other thing that we, we did is, is we, we voted for the CARES Act, which included billions of dollars uh, for our hospitals and our healthcare workers to uh, to reimburse them for not only treating COVID patients, but also to help those doctors and hospitals survive because they were shut down because of the um, the ban and, on election. And some of the some of the rules have been loosened up on the CARES Act, and states have had uh, the ability to shift some of that around. But uh, you know, Governor Bashir here says that we are facing a real. Uh, state shortfall next year uh, and uh, you know it may be north of a billion dollars in terms of shortfall to state government uh, in terms of uh, what is going on do you support uh, additional help for state and local governments uh, in any kind of uh, measure from Congress well possibly but the problem that we see and I voted for the CARES Act not only the 150 billion dollars in direct aid to state and local governments but uh, the, 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 the three quarters of a trillion dollars in help from HUD and from other agencies and HHS to state governments. And what we've seen in the state of Kentucky, for example, is only, only just about 7% of that money has been actually spent and deployed to local governments. I, many uh, county judge executives, local counties very, and municipalities very frustrated with Frankfurt that they haven't gotten the money that we in Congress appropriated to Frankfurt. So until we actually deploy that, those funds and see where we are, uh, I don't think we need to continue to borrow money from China and other uh, creditors. Uh, we need to see where we are after we spend that money. That's the fiscally responsible thing to do. I'm willing to do it, but, but let's get that money out there to help these local communities. Are you confident the country can uh, quickly recover economically, or are we looking at uh, something here that's going to take years to dig out of? Well, we're already seeing signs of a robust uh, recovery. Uh, the stock market, believe it or not, is actually uh, uh, in the in the black now we're actually uh, we've recovered fully in terms of our financial markets but I, I recognize that there's many people living paycheck to paycheck lost their jobs and we need additional help that's why I voted for economic impact payments direct payments to families uh, it's why I've supported a robust tax cuts as part of the CARES Act and why we supported free COVID testing and also uh, provided additional support for for um, uh, paid family leave for folks as well uh, but it's also why we supported the Paycheck Protection Loan Program so that we could um, provide a lifeline to small businesses to keep workers on the payroll. And uh, we're seeing a recovery, a remarkable recovery in the labor market uh, since the economy started open, opening up again. And I think that was a critical thing that we did was to pass these small business loans that encouraged employers to keep workers on the payroll uh, that prevented this economic downturn 
from becoming the next great depression. Congressman, there's been a tremendous social upheaval in the country this summer with the high-profile deaths like Breonna Taylor here in Kentucky and George Floyd and others. It has led to protests in Lexington. Uh, there's been violence in some cities. What do you say in this moment about moving forward? Well, we need to come together as a country, as I said earlier, and um, my own personal experience, I, I, I feel like I have more empathy, but we in Kentucky, I think generally, in, uh, we're unique uh, as Kentuckians in that we, we do better than the rest of the country in terms of listening to one another and being good neighbors, and it's really just a matter of the golden rule. You know, treat other people the way you would want to be treated. And look, no doubt about it, African Americans in this country and other minority groups have legitimate grievances, and we need to be listening to that, and we need to be striving uh, for, um, for police reform, which I've supported, and legitimate uh, changes to address those grievances. But in no circumstance, in no circumstance, should we tolerate as a country the kind of violence and looting and rioting that we've seen in the streets and the deliberate targeting of law enforcement or these extreme and radical proposals to defund the police. I think, I think this, it's very dangerous when we have politicians and other people making overbroad generalizations, either about protesters and saying all protesters are violent. That's not true. There are peaceful protesters. And on the other hand, saying that all law enforcement officers are racist. That's not true either. In fact, the, I'm proud to have received the unanimous endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police. And when I talk to the law enforcement officers in Lexington and around the rural communities of the 6th District, I know that there's nothing more than th that right. those police and sheriffs hate more than bad cops. They want to get rid of bad cops. And, 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 they, and it dishonors what happened to George Floyd. It dishonors George Floyd and his family and other victims um, when we see this looting and violence and rioting, that is not going to facilitate racial reconciliation in this country. All right, you've opened the door to politics. Your Democratic opponent is Josh Hicks, a lawyer who was uh, first a Marine and a police officer, and he says that uh, he is running for regular folks. Uh, he points to people using their money and contributions to influence Washington. Do you agree that members of Congress are under tremendous pressure from those who uh, give money to their campaigns. I can't speak for other members of Congress. I can speak for myself, though. I mean, everything that I do is focused on advancing the interests of my constituents, everything. Uh, my constituents are number one, Central Kentucky number one. That's why I'm proud to have the support of the signature industries of, the, of this state, whether it's the bourbon distilling industry, the horse industry, the coal industry, the auto manufacturing industry, the agriculture industry, um, you know, those are the groups of people that support me because I'm doing a good right. job. We're getting results and we're focused on solutions for the people of Central and Eastern Kentucky. And I've always said, you know, if you do the job you are elected to do, the politics will take care of itself, and that's what I'm focused on. Need a quick, quick answer on this uh, horse racing, this uh, Churchill Downs uh, this weekend, uh, the last racing with no Lasix, and uh, I know you've uh, pushed uh, bills on horse racing. If you can give us a real quick answer there. This week, this week uh, with the announcement of uh, Senator McConnell introducing companion legislation to the bill that I've introduced for multiple uh, sessions of Congress to reform horse racing, this is the culmination of many years of hard work, bipartisan work that I've been doing in the, in the Congress to advance safety and integrity in thoroughbred racing. This is important not just to preserve our culture and heritage in Kentucky, but also the tens of thousands of jobs that depend on the thoroughbred racing industry. It's something that we can be proud of, and we are securing with this reform legislation a prosperous and safe 
future for this beautiful sport. Congressman Andy Barr, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Stay with us now. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The U.S. is suffering a public health crisis, an economic crisis, and now a looming government shutdown. But our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, says for the most part, right now, Congress is maybe not doing its part in Washington. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. Do you know what is annoying? When someone promises to do a job and doesn't do it. Do you know what is even more annoying? When the person knows he did not do the job and takes a vacation. I'm talking about Congress. It has been months since they passed a new COVID relief bill and still there's no deal in sight. Millions of families are struggling, jobs are lost, some with no money for food. But our leaders in the House and the Senate are not in Washington. They are home on vacation getting their paychecks. They have jobs. Why? because you gave them jobs. Yes, I know, Republicans blame Democrats and Democrats blame Republicans. They both say it is too hard to get the other side to agree. But when they asked you for your vote, both parties said they could do the job, easy or hard. Now I admit, it's hard to pass legislation, especially in a pandemic and polarized environment, but what chance do they have of doing their jobs if they don't bother to stay in Washington at work to talk to each other? I'm not trying to be snarky. These are simply the facts. Yes, Congress is back at work next week, but check your calendar. There's another big problem on the horizon, one they have had months and months to handle. In four weeks, the federal government will run out of money. On September 30th, if Democrats and Republicans do not agree, we have no budget to run the government. Our elected officials know this deadline is looming. That's because they picked it. So what will they do? My prediction right before midnight on September 30th, or a day before, just before our government runs out of money, both parties will agree not to a real budget, a real decision, but to another continuing resolution to fund the government until just after the election. They don't dare make a decision before November 3rd, Election Day. They will agree to kick the can down the road until after the election so you don't take their failing out on them as you cast your ballot. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. You make it a good week ahead. <laughs>